All right, the Lord is good. Let's take our declaration of understanding as we get into our uh, teaching for today. We have been talking about the prophetic word for the season, and we are going to continue teaching on that. So let's just take the declaration so we can settle down and get into the teaching. Are we ready? Now I declare that the Lord has given me the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. And I'm being filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. As a result of this, I'm walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. I'm pleasing him in all respects. I'm bearing fruit in every good work. And I'm increasing in the knowledge of God. Now again, I incline my ears to his word. The word is entering my heart. It is giving me light and direction. It is healing me in every area. And it's making me more and more like the Lord Jesus. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Amen? Amen. I said amen. Amen. Again, understanding will come to you in the name of Jesus. Healing will come to every part of you, spirit, soul, and body today in the name of Jesus. That bitterness of soul will be healed today in the name of Jesus. That problem in the kidney, the liver, and the brain, any part of the body, no matter what it is, whether it's psychological, it's a real tumor that's growing there. It will disappear today as the word of God is coming forth to you in the name of Jesus Christ. All right, the Lord is good. Let's take our seats and get into our teaching for today. Now, let's get into the teaching again for today. We are in our prophetic word for the season. Like I said, this is more like um, the school of prophecy rather than the school of prayer, which is what we usually would have. And let me quickly explain what prophecy means again. Uh, the impression many people have is that you predict the future. You tell people who is going to win the match between Ayimba and um, Aqua United. No. That's not what prophecy is. It's not prediction. Now, prophecy oftentimes is predictive, but that's not what, de- what defines it. What defines prophecy is that you are speaking the mind of God specifically for the moment. That's it. Sometimes in that process, you will say things that God says he wants to do later. Sometimes you give direct warnings to people. But the counsel of God is vast. The whole totality of the Word of God is extensive. It's as big as the universe itself. At each particular point in time, there will be one thing that God wants his people to know. And that's what we mean by the spirit of prophecy. It's what God wants us to know at a particular point in time. There are so many things we operate by. There are the precepts of God. There are general promises of God. But there are times in which a specific word comes to correct what is going wrong or to set us on a new direction. That's what we mean. So I'm not here to predict to you when um, COVID-19 will disappear or when what will replace it will come because I've said that before. Certainly something is going to come that is worse than it. I don't know when because if people do not repent, and that's why we need to talk to the church because Jesus says something. If the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? That is, the world cannot repent. These are not the days of Jonah. I hope you're getting my point. If I even then, Jonah had to come out of that kind of place, the church in, in, in that season. Bible talking about the church in the wilderness. You must understand that. So what I mean is that we are the Jonah. So don't, don't expect somebody from somewhere to go and preach to the world and not involve the church of God. Right now, we are the foundation. We are the pillar of truth on the earth. The only way people will change, the only way the world will, go, uh, will be revived, will repent, is if the church preaches the truth of God and does that effectively. 
So we need to talk to the church first because they are the messenger of God on the earth. They are the servant. I use the word in singular now. They are the servant of God on the earth. So we have to correct the church. We have to speak the word of God to the church of God. Now, so what we need is what is God saying specifically in the midst of the multitude of things that are available to learn. In the midst of the abundance of truth out there, what is God saying specifically at each point in time? That is what the spirit of prophecy is. So we've been looking at that. We have already discussed a number of things. God is saying to the church in this season, return to your first love. Last time I spoke and I sat on the scene of the young prophets because, you see, what's happening a lot of times is that people are suppressing the truth in unrighteousness. And the, thing, the problem is that they are afraid of people. They are afraid of, for their own survival. Listen, you must understand, when we talk about mammon, Mammon in this life is not covetousness. People don't understand it. When Jesus said you cannot save God and mammon, it's different from covetousness. Mammon is something that is subtle. Mammon is very reasonable. An average person on this earth worships mammon. Listen to me. Most people on this earth who are not Christians worship mammon. They can't help it. Now, having said that, a lot of Christians also worship mammon. And I think as that now, I will use the word majority of Christians worship mammon. I hope you're getting my point. And what is mammon? Mammon is subtle. Now, Jesus was speaking to his disciples when he said you cannot save God and mammon. Okay, let me use the word. They may not use the, let me not use the word worship. I'll use the word save. What is mammon? Mammon is the desire to have security concerning what you shall eat, what you shall drink, and with what shall you clothe yourself. Mammon has to do with basic survival. Mammon is not Bentley. Mammon is not a private jet. Mammon is not trying to be famous. Mammon is, let me ensure that whatever I do, I will not lack food. Mammon is that whatever I do, I will not lack drink. That's what mammon is. And that is why it's so dangerous. And when we're doing our series of the select ones God uses, we emphasized that it's only when you hit yourself, that is, we're talking about yourself now, that is your life, what Jesus was saying is that you are not going out and making decisions for the preservation of your life. What is more important to you is the will of God. That's when you can be his disciple. Now, the God Jesus was not saying that he will not leave you to die. What he's saying is that trust me that I will take care of that. Don't make decisions based on will that be taken care of. Assume I have taken care of it. Assume I have taken care of it. You know, today I was reading the news again and... Um, you know, there are things I don't bother watching. The price of the uh, Naira against the dollar. So I, but I saw something. It was headlines in one of the major newspapers. And it was like um, investors are considering this and that, considering the slide in the Naira. I just flipped it. Naira is sliding. Uh-huh. You know, since I was a little boy, it's been sliding for a very long time. In case you don't know, I was small when it was still one Naira to one dollar. I wasn't too small to appreciate it. But I was already in university when it was four naira to the dollar. And one of my friends, he was another university, a childhood friend, and he was studying banking and finance. So he did a lot of discussion on economic things and money matters. And his professor in school told him that it, now listen to this, that it's going to get to ten naira to the dollar. And when he told me, I was angry that that your professor is a wicked soul. How can he be wishing us such a bad thing? The last time it was stable for us for, for three years thereabout, it was at 360. 
Now, what I'm trying to say is that, have you noticed something? I didn't die. I don't know whether you're getting my point. <laughs> I, I didn't die. Nothing evil happened to me. So if he crossed from 360 and stopped at 780, you know what I found out? I will still live. It will not reduce what God wants to do in my life. It will not reduce it. It will not reduce the material blessings God wants to give me. What will reduce it is not the slide in the naira or the dollar, whatever it is. It is when I shift my focus from God as a supplier. That is what will affect it. That's what's going to affect it. So today when I saw that, I just moved away and I began, I began to recount the things that God had done for me in the previous times. I began to recount it. People will say, buy land now. The price will go up. Like, like, you know what I used to say to them? Do I look like I'm going down? They said, do you appreciate? I said, do I look like I'm not planning to appreciate? I said, listen, when they say buy it for one million, naira, one is going to be 10. I said, when it will become 10, I will have 200 million. So what is the difference? <laughs> What it is to me right now, I remember the story I tell a lot of times. A young man said I should be giving him 500 naira every month so that at the end of 15 years or so, they will give me maybe 100 or 200,000 naira. And that time, 500 naira was a tithe. And you are not a church. I was earning about 5,000, 5,000, 6,000 naira a month. He wanted 500 naira. He says life assurance or life insurance or life something ransha. I looked at the young man. You know, you don't talk to a poor man to say for tomorrow. What if he dies before tomorrow? You know, some of these principles you will read in books, you know, they just laugh. I said, you are not talking to hungry people. These are principles for Americans who are, who are fed. Say, save 10% when you have not paid house rent. <laughs> you just look at people and said, you must be joking. And you say 10% when I have not paid house rent, I have not paid school fees, I have not taken care of my aged parents, I should be saving 10%. You want God to create a second hellfire for me alone? Sufficient unto the day is evil thereof. Please don't, don't annoy my soul. There are doctrines that have been created for those who have eaten and they are full. I'm not saying don't save 10%. Look, you know the first time I started saving in my life, you'll be surprised. I won't tell you the year exactly, but it was Nenugu here. Okay, no, no. It was towards the latter part of my stay in Lagos. But the time I actually started putting money down, really, it was because I started finding my pockets. You know, like I'll take a shirt I've not worn for maybe like a week, and I find two thousand naira inside. Maybe there was a suit I wore like three weeks ago. I'll open the pocket and find fifteen thousand naira. Ah! I told my wife, "No, no, things are bad. I can now forget fifteen thousand naira." I said, "This life has changed." I said, "Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I have to keep the money no, because before, even if I forget, I will have checked the pocket like six times. That is." <laughs> The one I did not forget, I found it. How much more? <laughs> I hope you're getting my point. Ah, what are you talking about? That is, routinely, it was, a, it was a usual thing. It's part of, after you finish praying and worshiping God, I remember one man of God who thought when we were young, I mean, once he was giving a message, I was there, and described how one day God supplied money to him supernaturally. And he was convinced that he did not put the money in his pocket. He just went into his wardrobe and checked his pocket and found money because his younger sister came to see him and told him the problems at home. And she was supposed to go back the next day. And the whole night he could not sleep. And he prayed and prayed. And he got up in the morning and checked his wardrobe, checked his clothes, and found money in the pocket. Ever since I heard that testimony, I've been checking pockets. <laughs> I mean, I've been talking about before, before, before that season. So one day I will now pick a shirt. Ah. I will find 10,000 in the trouser, in, 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 in bed of trousers in the pocket. I will find 5,000 in the pocket of his shirt. He look inside the jacket, find 15,000 there that I did not know was there. 
I said, I'm rich. You cannot start preaching the gospel of put 10 centers. I, I could believe you that time. But that time I was in Lagos, 15th of every month I was broke. The 10%, I will have it in on the 16th if I saved it. Listen, I'm not here to talk financial matters now. There are some things you hear. You know, you, you have eaten. You are full. You have a regular income. You don't go broke. You'll be telling me this funny doctrine. Go to where there is lack, where there is poverty. You will rearrange your principles of finances. Say, so pay yourself first. Before. I saw this once. You have money. Like when I was talking about COVID, COVID, they said the, 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 the recipe for preventing COVID. They said these are recipes of rich people. Wash your hand regularly. He said that means you have running water. Otherwise, use alcohol-based sanitizer. I need to drink the alcohol to forget my sorrow. You're saying I should put it in. <laughs> it's a social distancing. The man said, Have you been to the slum? <laughs> I think that's an Indian. He was speaking. He said, Look, guys, find us another way to control this thing. Because this one you have written for us. It's for rich people. It was writing from India. That when you get to the slums, in India they say um, no public transportation. People trek 200 kilometers to get home. They shut down the trains. The people say, eh, you want me to die in Delhi? There's no job. Everything is locked down. They trekked. See, forget the 200. They trekked 300 kilometers. Anyway, before I forget where I said all of that from. So when I began to tell all these things, I said, listen, God has taken care of me before. It's not today. So if you want, don't scare me with dollar is moving to 1,000. Uh, the more you talk about it, the less I listen to you. The, in fact, it's even good. Move to 2,000. You know why? I will pray harder. Now that I'm forgetting to declare scriptures on provision for a few days, I will remember it more often. I will carry the scriptures. The Lord is my shepherd to become more regular. Honestly, listen, let me tell you something. As believers, I say all the time, we just have to make up our minds that we're going to believe we have to make up our minds that we will continue to believe. If things outside look bad, you are just pushing me into more prayer. You don't shoot in my neighborhood, so I sleep a lot. If every night I hear people, I'm hearing stories. You know, I, I, prayer will increase. I won't run away. Let me assure you, I will not run away. But what will happen now is that I will go and buy anointing oil before. You know what they call faith extenders? Things that, you know, these fetish things we do. <laughs> To show that we are doing something. That this one want to, if you create too much havoc around me, then I'll go and buy oil. Before I normally pray normally and declare normally. This time I will declare on oil and all my children go and spread it around the compound. I will anoint my dog. Now I've never anointed the dog. I will anoint the key of my gate. If you touch in the name of Jesus, electrocution. I will turn my fence to electrical fence spiritually. Why? Because you provoked me to anger. So if the world wants to scare me, say, that light is sliding. I say, you, you want to push me to pray, Abby? So slide. The more you slide, the more I pray. But that the things that God wants to bless me with, he won't do it because you were sliding. I lie. Let me tell you something. The Bible talks about two parts about him. He said, in him there is no variableness or shadow of turning. Two expressions there. Variableness means that he himself does not change. Shadow of turning, I studied this. Somebody, one of my reference Bibles explained it. That shadow of turning means that circumstances don't change him. Variableness has to do with, with his own inherent you know, tendencies. But shadow of turning talks about things around causing him to change. That is, if he has made up his mind and wants to do something, he will do it. 
If he has to re- turn, tell the earth to start rotating the opposite direction, he will do it. What am I going to say? We have to continue looking at him. We have to continually focus on him. That is the discipline that we need as believers. That is the discipline. That is the discipline. To keep our focus on the world. How do I do that? I will tell you it's simple. When there's too much trouble outside, read more Psalm 23. I hope you're getting my point. Yeah, that's it. Discuss it more. Tell stories of provision. Sit your wife down. Sit your husband. Sit down with your husband. Sit your friend down. Gather in small groups and tell stories. Just organize a small meeting of your friends. Say, let's share testimonies. What did God do for you one time that was so dramatic that you knew that it was not based on physical things? Somebody tell a story. Tell another story. Start telling stories here and there. By the time you finish, your faith will have been boosted. Your faith will have been boosted. Tell other people's stories. I mean, when I say other people's stories, and stories that you know, good friend, tells you something. If you want to talk about divine protection, look, there are different stories we just start putting together. That's how to focus on God. Provision, tell Bible stories, tell personal stories, tell stories of your friends, spend one hour telling stories about the Lord. David said, magnify the Lord with me. That's what he's talking about. Let's talk about his good works. Let's talk about the things he has done. I have a new rule now. Now, I keep on reminding people. I'm medically trained, though. I know medicine well, well. Once I open my newspaper, in news or anything, or charts, whatever it is, you want them to tell me the number of people that died in, of COVID. I don't read it. If I want one of those professional groups, somebody said that, what is this daily update doing for us? So seven people died in Lagos last week, uh-huh, or yesterday. Total number of deaths have increased to this. Total number of this one has increased. I say, uh-huh. Is that supposed to boost my faith? In fact, one guy keeps on getting angry. Say, colleague, he's not even a believer. He saw this noise. Do you know that malaria is killing more with all of this noise you are making? <laughs> he gets angry. The point I'm making is that I just said myself, I'm not reading. And they have all kinds of new treatments. Madagascar has the herbs. I said, you know, I, <laughs> there are things you hear, you shake your head. But I don't, Honestly, you know, I've not read one thing about Madagascar's herbs. How it works, how it does not work, I don't care. The only thing I see about it are the jokes people make out of it. What am I going to say? I've reached a point now. Even when I'm watching news, if I'm watching news on TV, once I want to start discussing, what's this mayor of New York? Como. When he wants to start talking COVID again, I switch the channel. Anybody wants to start discussing what happened in Brazil, I switch the channel. Listen, don't fill my head. Don't fill my head with stories of COVID. Tell me about divine deliverance. I want to hear stories of people that had the Ebola and they, they got healed. One of our brothers here, <laughs> I like telling his story. I've not seen him in a while. I told him, write this story for me. I like this, your testimony. In fact, that, that was the time he got in contact with me. He knew me before, but as a secular teacher. But with my teaching ministry, that was what brought him really into contact. He had Lassa fever. He's a medical doctor. They put him in an isolation room in a teaching hospital and they were treating him. He said his blood pressure refused to come up. His blood pressure was down. It's one of the problems in Lassa fever. Losing fluids into his, from the blood into the tissues around. They gave him all the treatment they knew. After a while, he has sores all over his back. 
Oh, it was, he, it, he, it was, his, his case was a bad one. There was a time they thought his organs were shutting down. His blood pressure, they did everything they knew medically. His blood pressure wouldn't stay up. If you know medicine, always recording diastolic of like 30. Stuff like that. That's, you know, when you read blood pressure, it's only 120 over 80. The lower one is what I'm talking about. It's only like 30, 40, 30. Drop lower than that. Ah. Then his, bro, his cousin came, put a phone there, and loaded messages on it for him. Say, listen to this. He was too ill to go anywhere anyway. Half of the times he was not even fully conscious. So he put on the message, he began to listen to the word, began to listen to the word, began to listen to the word. Strength began to come back to him. He was getting better. So one day he told uh, one of the doctors, I'm going home this week. And they started laughing. Why wouldn't you laugh? He had sores on his back that came for two reasons. Let's not discuss the reasons now. Part, partly they were bed sores, but other, also because it bled into the skin. That they were dressing daily. And he told them he was going, it was like Tuesday or so. He said he's going home this week. And everybody started laughing. Oh, you want to use your connection as a doctor or what? They didn't know that God had pushed into him the spirit of faith. He kept on listening to the word of God. When he had strength, he would get up. But all he did was, they loaded the phone full of messages for him. He listened to one message after another. I think on Thursday, the nurse came to dress his wound, turned his back and shouted. Why did she scream? The sores were gone. You know what happened? On Friday, they discharged him. The people laughing earlier in the week allowed him to go home on Friday. Listen, that's the kind of story I want to hear. Don't tell me about who coughed and died. I was watching the video the other day. My children and I were watching it in the house of a man who was dead, certified dead. 45 minutes later, he got up. He died because of a massive heart attack. In Australia, it's an American, I think. Yeah, I think it's American. But it was at the airport when he had a massive heart attack. They walked on his heart for a long time. He didn't get up again. Look, we all know it. If your brain does not get oxygen for six minutes, it is damaged permanently. He did not get for over an hour. But from the time he was dead, it was 45 minutes. I just added the other one, which they were trying to get him going, all of those things. I just added that, I said one hour. From the time they said this man's heart has stopped, and they stopped trying, till he got up again, it was 45 minutes. And don't think it's one arranged testimony. He stood before a, a session of United Nations and testified, gave them the records. If you want, he'll give you the name of the hospital, the doctor that treated him, everything. He wasn't joking. And he said, you are looking at a miracle. When I saw that thing, I went online and checked the story. I found that in the United Nations, he gave only a brief, a brief part. What he didn't tell them was that the Lord walked into the ambulance by himself and touched him. What he didn't tell the United Nations was that when that happened, his friends began to pray. And they continued to pray. Until the Lord walk, literally walked into the ambulance, touched him and told him to get up. And you are not dying yet. Come on, let's tell stories. Somebody telling me that cover my nose, wash my hands, and those who did not do it. I'm not saying don't cover your nose or wash your hands. I'm not going to say that that is not what's going to keep me alive. I will obey the public health rules. I don't want to be like, you know, it's not against the gospel, so I'm not disobedient. I'm not trying to say that Christians, let's talk, you know, I, I can't be arguing with you on uh, 
whether garlic and azithromycin works. I've seen medical students, medical doctors who have become herbalists because of COVID. Prescribing how to mix lime with garlic and, and cucumber and clay. Added that clay just so that you won't try it. <laughs> because if you want to hear my prescription, I have to put clay inside. I've seen all kinds of things. One thing that God has given many of us, and many of you listen to me, you are one of those people. You, you don't even remember, just go your way. It's not natural, it's called the peace of God. It's called the peace of God. The Lord is good. If you ask me how I got there, I don't know too, so let's just get back to where, where we are supposed to be. <laughs> so, this one we are making, so, there's a prophetic word we are discussing. What does God want us to pay attention to in this season? Please bear this in mind. I need to remind us again. Life is spiritual. Plagues are spiritually determined. Anytime you see something occurring on the earth, Jesus taught us that. You must learn to discern the times and the seasons. Everything you see is saying something. If it rains, it's telling you about the faithfulness of God. I hope you're getting my point. That's why don't forget to give him thanks. If you press the brake of your car and it stops and you come down your house, say, Lord, I thank you. That experience is the faithfulness of God. He's saying something to you. He's saying something to you. If crops fail, God told Israel, go to the temple and go and repent of your sins. That's what, no, that's what happens. If anything you see on this earth, there is a spiritual reason it's happening. There's a spiritual reason. I said something the other day, let me say it again. Death is never an accident, even if the person died in an accident. Death is spiritually determined. There is no accident on this earth. If somebody falls down from the top of, 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 uh, top of a building and dies, it's not because the railing wasn't good. It's because he's been appointed that that day he would die. Everything you see happen, happening physically happened first spiritually. Please bear that in mind. Life is spiritual. What we call plagues on this earth, pestilence, diseases, viruses, they are spiritual bullets. If a human being wants to kill another and takes a gun and shoots, you won't find his fingerprint on the dead man. What do you find? The bullet. But the bullet did not kill him. We don't charge the bullet to cut for murder, do we? We don't even charge the manufacturer of the gun. Who do we charge? The fellow who pulled the trigger. So don't ever forget that. Don't die because uh, you know we want to. This virus is deadly. Virus is not deadly. There is somebody in the realm of the spirit firing the bullets. The bullet is not the deadly thing. It's a person who aimed it, targeted it, fired it. That is responsible. In the same manner, things on this earth must bear that in mind. Anytime you see things in the realm of the physical, look beyond that realm to that that which is spiritual. Don't ever forget it. If you want to affect things on this earth, that is where you start from. And that's one of the things I'm going to explain again. The church should understand because, you see, the church has gotten carried away by trying to help the world arrange, the world, that is, arrange itself. They don't focus their energy where it's supposed to be. Each person has an assignment from God. Let's do our assignment. If you're a teacher, teacher physically, teach. If you're a doctor physically, do it, please. If you're a government official physically, go ahead. If you're a businessman, 
do your business. So if we have Christians in all these realms, let's do what we are supposed to do. However, the blessing is not decided at that level. We are the ones that have the access into the realm of the spirit. Through Christ Jesus, we can go to that realm and ask God for mercy for a land. No matter how well people plan their things on this earth, if God has not commanded a blessing towards them, he said they will gather, I will scatter it. He said you look for much, it came to little. The little that you had, I blew upon it. You brought the, what was remaining home, you put them into pockets with holes. Many, people, many times people analyze the problem of Africa. I say you don't understand the problem of Africa. Stop talking. Just by the way, never ever, for one brief moment in your mind, blame the white man for Africa's struggles. Don't bother. They are not responsible. They can't possibly be. Why do you keep regarding man whose breath is in his nostrils? Yesterday I was thinking about slavery again. Okay, something led to it. I was reading a report on BBC about some people in one of these West African countries. They, call, they said the village of wives or something like that. They said the, the, the girls marry what they call Italians. Italians are just local boys who work in Italy. You understand? So there they say, oh, she's married to an Italian. So they don't mean Italian, Italian. They mean a local boy. So that they will come home, get married to young girls, 17, 18, 20-something. And then the girl will, will see the husband maybe for the, only two times the next. You say like six weeks, three months after the marriage. Many times she gets pregnant. And the next time she sees the husband is in five years' time. You know, and I don't want to discuss that now. But I read the whole story. Very interesting story. And then when I read, looked closer, and I found, I found out that most of them were slaves in Italy. That's where I'm going. Slaves that swam across. Slaves that paid their own transport. You know those days when white men will come? <laughs> they will bring the ship. They will transport you free of charge. Now you will pay to go. I read the whole story. I said, this is, this is nothing but slavery. Slavery. You get that they are working on the same old plantations. You know why they don't come home? The one lady that was featured in it, she said her husband has the papers, you know, has enough documentation. She's le- he's legal there now. He can travel you know, to and fro at will, but he can't pay. So she was making a joke. She had a business she was doing in the report that if she makes enough money this year, she will buy him a ticket to come home, come and visit her. Working on plantations from one place to the other, managing to get a job in a factory. I said, this is modern day slavery. The only difference is that now you get up and donate yourself to the slave master. The white man is not the problem. I don't want to discuss that now in details, please. I'm just to, I just want to bring Christians back to their responsibility. If you want to discuss this matter, discuss it spiritually. Don't get involved, you know, with political and economic, uh, you know, arrangements as if that will solve the problem of Africa. Like I said earlier, if you have a responsibility, do it. If, you are, if they put you in charge of something, do it as best as you can. Paradventure, through your hands, God will bring deliverance. But know that deliverance is not based upon the, spirit, upon the physical arrangement. You want to pray for the continent? Let me drop that. 
you know, you see churches gathering. Now, please, again, I'm not saying it's evil in itself. But please, don't spend all your energy gathering money to distribute food to the poor. Don't spend all your energy. What Africa needs is the gospel. Jesus said the poor have the gospel preached to them. That was the sign. It was not how much food he distributed to the poor that was bragging to John the Baptist. Concerning the poor, he preached the gospel. Africa needs the gospel. And we need to shut all these charlatans all over town. There are plenty in Nigeria, but they reign supreme in South Africa and East Africa. Southern Africa now. Of course, South Africa is part of it, and East Africa. Prophesying every day. All they ever see is visions, where you are coming from, where you are going. All of them need to be shut down. Replaced with the sound teaching of truth. You want to know a false prophet? Let me drop one of the ways you know. Anybody that they are healing when his ministry is false. There are many, you know, I've given you a number of keys to know false prophets. Anybody that they are healing him, as he's preaching, one, one joker has a microphone behind, shouting, hey, my father, my father, you are too much. Professor, Papa, just know that all of them are false. It's obvious that, <laughs> but let me preach my message, Joe. <laughs> we just got get on your nerves. The point I'm making is that what we need is a gospel. That's what I'm making. What we need is a preaching of the truth. And listen to this. I'm getting to the prophetic side now. Anyone who hinders or deliberately suppresses the preaching of this truth is setting himself up for the discipline of the Lord. Either you hinder it, he puts it in your mouth, you don't preach it, or you block other people from preaching it. Ah, that one, God does not take it kindly. If the truth I am preaching, listen to me, I want to say something. If the truth I am preaching is offending you, you will be judged fast if you go to church on Sunday and say, don't tell me to Pastor Banky. I'm warning you. You will, you, listen, it will serve you better not to mention my name. I'm not saying this as a joke. I really don't care. I'm not looking for anybody from, anything from anybody. But if you stand between these words and the people that are supposed to hear it, you are begging for divine judgment. I don't know, just came upon me to warn people. Don't mention my name if you know that what I'm saying. Don't. Because I'm bringing a word from heaven. And I'm backed by the spirit of God. Like a bulldozer, he will ride over anybody that stands in his way. The clouds, he says, they are dust of his feet. Let him not ride over you. There are times people have insulted what I'm saying. I just, I just ignore them. But right now, I feel strongly in my heart. God is tired. He is tired. You want to preach your feel good, feel, feel good gospel? Preach it. But don't stand between me, bank is speaking, and those that God has put a word in my mouth for. That thing came upon me. I just like you want people. If you want to preach your have fun. But if you stop anybody from paying attention to the word of God, you will go blind. In the first instance, for a season. In the second instance, it will be permanent. We work hard to get recovery. And I'm not kidding. So like we say, mind yourself. Warn yourself seriously. We are not joking anymore. Because we have reached a point now. God says, listen, you have, suppressed in, you have suppressed the truth in the righteousness enough. The people need to be liberated. The church of God needs to be woken up again so it can do its work of apostleship and it can do its work of, prophetic, of the prophetic. To go to the world and tell the world and stop trying to, you know, make God look nice. It's the devil. 
is not God, it is God. I, even I, he said. Let me say it again. This God is alive, and there's no living person you will insult the way they have insulted him for the last few years that will not eventually answer. I will say this again. You see COVID-19? They are starting this engine of his answer. He never even answered first. He's still warming up. And the church has the responsibility to go to the world and tell them the truth. Some people will go all over Europe and say they will end in prison. Listen, you are going to end in prison in Europe. You go, nah, some people will go, but they have to go. They went in prison, you will not die there. After a few years, they will let you go because all they can charge you for right now, according to their laws, it's nothing, like, it's nothing more than disturbing the peace and stuff like that. You are not asking anybody to kill anybody. But some prophets will have to go and preach it. They will tell you, don't speak against homosexuality. God will say, that's the only thing I want to preach about. That's the only thing I want to preach about. Get up every day. And tell them the soul that sins, it shall die. And I will put a word in your mouth one day before I flood a section of their city. You will give them the number of people that I'm going to kill over the next 72 hours. If they still leave you in prison, I wipe out the whole city. My volcanoes that I've shut down for a long time, I will open a few again, but I will not open them until you warn them ahead. Paradventure, those in the neighboring cities were here. And be saved. I will bury many cities, many villages, so that those who are nearby will hear. But right now, if I do it, it doesn't benefit them in any way because they don't even know who did it. My servant that I sent says it's the devil. So the people would rather worship the devil than worship me. And my glory I will share with no other person. Please, I know God is getting, making you hear this from different places. That is what He's doing now. Please, what? I we open, did I say she opened somewhere? No, I haven't said it yet. I was just thinking it. Okay, <laughs> let me bring out what I was thinking. I'm going to continue from where we were last time to continue to bring out some prophetic words for us concerning what God is doing in this season. What we have been talking about, we read from Colossians chapter 2, is that we must be careful that no one denies us of our reward, defrauds us. And reward is defrauded We are defrauded of our reward because of wrong doctrines, which beget wrong practices. We are defrauded of our reward because of wrong doctrines, which beget wrong practices. Last time I brought a word, I felt so strong in my heart about it last time. I just want to pick up from there at this point. And that's when I was talking about the sin of the young prophets, those who suppress the truth. Remember, I began that earlier now. Because of mammon, yeah, you know, I talked about that before I lost track. Because of mammon, because of what we shall eat, what we shall drink, with what shall we clothe ourselves. They come to church. One man wrote us a meal once. I was so blessed by that meal because he said, until he heard me preach on radio, he did not know he had been turning his stones to bread and is the minister of the gospel. And he repented. That's why he sent us a meal. He was so happy that he had been corrected. Many times people will come and all they do is turn their stones to bread. Every, every message, no matter how connected with offerings it is, must end with, you know, an offering. This is a good point to tie it to offering. Especially when people are so excited and they are blessed. 
one of the things we like to do, preachers, now say if you want the fullness of that message, you now connect it, <laughs> connect with it with the seed. Church people, you know, I told you, I will tell you the truth. I know my brethren. I know us. When we tell you things like that, like that, nine times out of ten, okay, sorry, ninety-nine times out of a hundred, is your money we are looking for. Sometimes we are not evil people. We think that's the only way you bring the money. So we want to collect it for the sake of the gospel. Other times we want to eat it. I'm not talking to you. You keep on giving. Amen. God will forgive you. I'm talking about. I'm talking to the people who twist the word. The Lord says, stop. That's what I have to say about that again. The Lord says, it's enough. Listen, because God does not quickly respond to some things, people continue in it for a very long time. And Paul said, there was a time God overlooked some things, but now he's commanding everybody to repent. That principle, Paul was preaching in Acts chapter 17. That principle applies the principle of life. You may have been doing something that's not right for a long time and God doesn't say anything. But when it brings truth, when it brings insight to your way, it comes with a commandment, which is what? Repent. I'm saying to ministers again, because this is how it goes. You want to correct the church, you have to correct the leaders therein. That's where the iniquity in the church comes from. That is where the disobedience of the church comes from. It's wrong doctrines. Wrong teaching. That is what leads the church into error. And I believe I have a word from the Spirit of God telling the people, stop. Stop lying in the name of the Lord. Stop. Stop saying things he did not say. Stop. One reason why people keep on lying, like I said earlier, is because of what it produces. You know, the pecuniary rewards. And listen, if you stop, let me quickly warn you ahead. If you stop telling, the tr- telling lies and you start telling the truth, you will go broke. I'm not promising you that God will not make you richer. You have sinned for a long time and you have prospered in sin. Why should he make you richer? You self-check up. Bear it in mind. So get ready. He said, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Go and learn how to manage yourself. Go and fix your car. You're not going to change it for a while. I hope you're getting my point. The house you started... The foundation was, was laid with wrong doctrine. You won't complete it. Don't bother. Sell it. Sell the land and the foundation and give to the poor. I need to say it like this now because sometimes people think that when they have repented, you promise them that. No, I didn't promise you anything. I just said the soul that sins which will die. So why should you die? That's what I'm saying. That's all I am preaching. That is all I am preaching. Save your life. Save your ministry. But God is faithful. He's faithful. Oh, he's faithful. It's when the world sets a different agenda for you that he looks unfaithful. When the world tells you that, how can you be a pastor? <laughs> One day I went to the bank. Down this road. <laughs> you know the bank at the end of this road. <laughs> I entered the bank. One young man looked at me, said, Pastor Banky. I said, yes. He said, what are you doing here? Ah, what am I doing here? I didn't come here to preach. It's a bank. I came to do some transactions. He said, no, you shouldn't go to the bank. With, this, with, with all the radio broadcasts, the ministry you are doing everywhere, don't you have boys to go to the bank for you? I, I was, you know, that was the first day I realized I was too big to come to the bank. <laughs> that was the day I realized my size in life. Now I'm not a big man. I can't go to the bank. Nonsense. Of course, I'm still going. That was many years ago. 
If I have business there, I will still go. And I remember I thought to myself, if this boy sees me at night buying fuel, it might nick and go, what will he now do? That's the problem. Sometimes the world sets a standard for us. You can't have the church this size, you don't have your own house. So the next time you come to church, you're angry with everybody. You can't have a church this size and look at the kind of car you are driving. Listen, wrong doctrine will come upon you except you remove your eyes from the things of the world. I've seen people change themselves, change their doctrines, and you can just see as they were changing their focus, the doctrine was changing. One of the things I want to tell pastors is, listen, don't stop even counting church number. You understand my point? I'll grow, you know, sometimes people talk about you make a target for your church, you grow. I, I, you know, I, I dropped some of those things long ago. I dropped those things long ago. In fact, you see, God helping me, I'll finish what I want to preach today. Because one of the things I want to talk about today concerning our accurate doctrine is that we must re- re- redefine success. Don't, no, don't, listen, I went for church growth, growth conferences too. In Nigeria, actually, I didn't go abroad for any church, but in this country, I went for some. We learned all the principles. Later on, the Holy Spirit helped me to understand. Say, Banky, don't mind your brother. So. He himself does not know how. The day I understood that thing, eh, I stopped all church growth. Good enough, I'm not pastoring a church in that sense. But all those ideas, I dropped them. I learned faithfulness. Speak what he wants you to speak. To those he wants to speak it. Be instant in season and out of season. Just do your work and let God do that which is pleasing in his sight. Your church is big. It's not a sign sign of I know how to do it. It is totally not a sign. Let me try and put all that to this. So listen, we have to walk away from false doctrines. If we don't, we are keeping the world blind. I talked about one reason why we have false doctrines is what? Mammon. The world setting an agenda for us. Another reason we talked about last time is fear of the old prophets. And that was why last time I spoke extensively about what the young prophets need to do to save their own lives. One thing John Bivere said, which really, really, you know, interested me. It impressed me. He said he went to visit, now listen to this very carefully. He said he went to visit this man when he was in prison. He sent him a note. So he got his book, um, Jim Baker. So Jim Baker asked him to come. So he decided to respect the senior minister who at that time was in prison. And he went there to see him. And he said he asked the man a question. I want to say something briefly about that. That what happened? What happened to you? How did you slide from where you were to the position where you came to that God had to take you out and keep you here? How did you get to that point? So he narrated to the man, he said, okay, when did your love for Christ, that's where I'm going, when did it begin to win? And, the, and Jim Baker said to him, that, no, no, that one, my love for Jesus Christ never wavered. Ah, John Bivere said he was alarmed, like what? He narrated to him some things that happened which are very negative. How can you tell me the love of Christ did not waver in your life? Or how come you did all of these things? You know what he said? He said, oh, all the while I loved Jesus, but I never feared him. I said, oh, if it's love, don't worry about that. I did. But fear was what I did not have. 
I said I want to just pass a small comment on it. And that is what the church is lacking. Ministers, not the church, ministers now. That's what they lack. What is the fear of God, I'll tell you. The fear of God is for you to understand that he will dutifully and effectively recompense you for your disobedience. That's the meaning of fear of God. For you to be aware that if you continue in disobedience, he owes it to you to punish you severely. And that it is his character to do it. That is what is called the fear of God. That's the fear of God. Listen, that's what the fear of God is. The fear of God is the knowledge. It is not a favor, reverence. When I'm just in God's presence, I just can't hold myself. I just start shedding tears. I just want to worship. I just want to roll. Because it's so great and it's so mighty. That's not the fear of God. That's the praise of God. That's good. Praise him. That is the appreciation of God's greatness. It's called praise. That reverence is good. That's not the fear of God. Let me tell you what they call the fear of God. Go and avenge me of my adversaries, the Amalekites. And brother Saul, this is what you will do. The Lord says, you will kill the king, everybody, their animals, and all of that. This is the fear of God. You will tell your commanders, anybody that doesn't kill a goat, I will cut your finger. Because I know that if we don't execute that judgment effectively, I will lose my throne. I will go mad as a king. I will die in battle, me and my sons. And then God will have to look for a man better than me, a man after his heart, and replace me. Please, I don't want that. Too. That's what they call the fear of God. That is the meaning of the fear of God. It means that, now what I want to say, I don't want to say it because it's not nice. But lest <laughs> I become guilty of not warning people, let me quickly say it. It means that if I deliberately disobey God, knowing this is wrong and I do it, I can't say sorry and that will be the end of it. No. It is knowing that the blood of Jesus does not cover such. That's what, that's what the Bible says. I'm not the one that said it. He said, when you have the knowledge of truth and you continue in disobedience, he said, there remaineth no sacrifice for such sins. You know what they call the fear of God? It's for me to know that if God says my coffee is 8 o'clock, he has given his soldiers shoot at sight order. Or like somebody says, shoot on sight. Whether you shoot on sight or shoot at sight, a dead man is a dead man. That's not the fear of God. The fear of God means that the closer I walk with him, the tougher he is with me. The fear of God means the older I am as a Christian, the less he overlooks my small errors. The fear of God means that I have walked with God for so long. I became the meekest man on this earth. And my name is Moses. And one day he says to me, speak to the rock. I decide to strike it. He withdraws me from ministry. And I beg him and beg him and he says no. I will not accept. Let me tell you what the fear of God is. Paul said, work out your own salvation with fear. You know, they say it's reverence. Okay, thank you. I give you reverence. And what? Trembling. What do you call trembling again now? Listen, tremble. To tremble means to be afraid. 
Let me tell you what they call the fear of God. The fear of God is to sit down and say, I'm doing business with my brother. Let me make sure I do not defraud him because it will ruin my company. You know, we don't preach this anymore. We just think that we just get an anecdote. I'm very, very sorry. And God said, eh? You are very sorry. You did not know you, why were you not sorry before you started? When you knew the truth. You know, have you done this kind of thing before? I've done it before. You want to tell somebody the truth, so you get angry. You tell him, and they tell him, I'm so sorry, I lost my temper. <laughs> it's your guy at work. You know you normally can't talk to him, so you, 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 you charge. I, I remember two times I did it in my life. I'm sure I don't know that times. So I'm not saying I'm the perfect guy. I remember two times I did that. When the man was doing very, what the man did was bad, though. But I just took it upon myself. Let me put this man... Straight. I fired rapidly for like two minutes. Quite older than me. I rebuked him, corrected him, warned him, threatened him, you know, did everything. Then when he calmed down, I said, I'm so sorry, I lost my temper. (laughs) Try that with a human being. Try that with God. He will lose his temper too. At the end of the day, he said, my son, sorry, I lost my temper. (laughs) And I'm not joking about He will flog you so bad. Okay. I don't, you see, I, we don't want to scare people, but we also have to preach the word of truth to mature Christians. God looked at David. David, the way you look at these girls is not good. David said, now only look, man, they look. Now wait. He said, I shall not commit adultery. Jesus has not yet come to tell me not to desire my heart. God said, no problem. So one day he took Bathsheba, you know the story. God looked, David. Okay, when you took Bathsheba, that was bad. But I understood that you're under a lot of stupid pressure. We will discuss that one after. So, God said, let me now show David more thing. Bathsheba, very wicked girl. She just got pregnant. Wait in. Is that how easy it is? That was what happened to Bathsheba. David said, inquiry. What do we do? Let's try. God said, David, now listen to me. God is very, very kind. He wants people. He doesn't judge you on your first error. Let me say to you, he does not judge you on the second. I am convinced not even on the third. He, judge, he watches you for a long time. He called David. Don't think Nathan was the first to speak to David. When Nathan came, the matter was bad. There are other people in the house that David said, yeah, what do I do? He says, sir, call Uriah. Apologize to him. Make him a commander. Build him ten houses. Are you getting my point? Then call the priests. Let's see how we can... Ah, David said, no, I can't do that. Another person will come and say, sir, go to the tabernacle and go and pray. Offer sacrifice. Call the priests. Call Raya. Call Joab. Tell them what happened. Let's see how we will go. David said, no. <laughs> do you know I'm making? At that time, in case you don't know, David had an empire. It was ruling all over other nations. He said, no. He racked his brain. What shall we do? What shall we do? Okay, call Raya. Call Raya. Those boys were happy. They called Raya. He got Raya drunk. He said, go home. The spirit possessed Raya. He said, you're not going anywhere. Raya stayed at the temple. Now, listen to what I'm saying. At, the, at the, the palace. Now, Raya stayed there for a number of days while David was not sleeping. When Raya won't do here, you know what David did? He plotted and murdered Raya. You know the story, so I don't need to tell you what happened. Then Nathan came, you know the story? Nathan came, told his own parable, 
finally showed that David was the man who had all the women, but took the only one Uriah had. And you know what David did? He went on his knees and begged and apologized. And God said, I have forgiven you. Nevertheless. Is that nevertheless I was driving at? God said, eh, you just kneel down and say you are sorry. You plotted this for days and weeks. I kept on telling you, don't do this. Don't do this. Don't do this. You now want to just say, yeah, sorry. You want to make a fool of me, eh? You want to tell the Lord that I God? Yeah, sorry. No worry. I have forgiven you. When you say you have been forgiven, David said, uh-huh. thank you, Lord. I know you are, but you are a merciful God. See, I'm also a, also a just God. You did this deliberately. I know what your flesh could account for. This is disobedience. He said, I'm sorry. David, the only way we will solve this matter is this. I will raise rebellion against you from your own house. The sword will not depart from your house. The one you did in secret, I will do to you openly. Oh, that child, he will die. David thought it was a joke. Not joke as he was laughing matter. That no, God is merciful. He went into the temple, into the whatever time. There was no temple that time. He, he didn't eat for days. The boy died. Let me explain something to you. When David came out, the only two, when he saw them hushing, you know, talking, hush, hush, he said, what's going on? Is the child dead? They said yes. He said, well, God didn't listen to us. Now listen to this. He prepared for the rest of the judgment. Let me tell you something. That was what happened. When, you know, before I, I was angry with him. Your son will do this, you won't see anything. He knew it was not the boy. Amnon raped his half-sister. David said nothing. I used to wonder, what kind of father are you? Later I realized that he knew it was not him. He remembered his sin. Next, Absalom raised rebellion against him. He called Joab. He said, deal kindly with him for my sake. He knew Absalom was under an influence. It was not him. And I used to wonder, why are you behaving like this? That was why. Absalom is not the problem. I'm the one that killed Uriah. Don't play with God, though. They say it's Old Testament. Don't be stupid. It's not Old Testament. He was merciful before then. Go and read Moses. He was merciful before then. In the New Testament, what did Paul say? Judge yourself so he will not have to judge you. Come on, I see pastors. Listen to me, pastors. Listen. Open your ears. I want to save your life. They hire mercenaries that use familiar spirits to go and raise money for them. I just shake my head. That you are tempting God. You are tempting God. A man stands on your pulpit on your invitation to lie to the people that God put under your command to instruct. You are tempting God. We lie. You know, we build up ourselves for destruction. We package ourselves for sacrifice. If you know what I'm trying to say. We garnish ourselves, fatten ourselves so that God can slaughter us with wrong doctrines. We start saying it's Old Testament, this is the New Testament. God said, don't worry. Say, Revelation is not in your Bible, Abby. Jerusalem that I destroyed 40 years after Jesus died and rose again from the dead. You didn't read the story, Abby? Was that not New Testament? David looked at Joab. He said, please, deal kindly with the boy for my sake. He knew why he said so. He knew why he said so. 
You saw him so tolerant of all the insults and the things that happened to him. He knew why. People of God, this is what the Spirit is saying. I have borne with my people for long. It is time to realize that there is judgment from God. Listen, let me tell you what will happen. When you see churches start scattering, big denominations start scattering in this country, just get ready. It's not a big deal. When you see the first one, just know at least four will go. If they determine one big denomination, they score, they're going to cut their... I won't vote. Listen, I will pray for the small, small people in there, like the ones that were in Nineveh, that God said to Jonah, they do not know their left from their right. They are the ones I will pray for. I will never pray that the denomination should not scatter. Why shouldn't you scatter? You should. What are you gathering for? What truth are you telling? I said we should put some order to it. Let me continue. The reason why people lie <laughs> is what they are going to eat. This is what God is saying to everybody now, especially ministers. I began to say that the other time. Take heed to your doctrine. I want us to read that Hebrews chapter 5. Please, this teaching that fear just means reverence. Please, so don't believe it too. There's something I'm always careful about. I have many versions of the Bible. No, all of us have them now. You version has made our lives so easy, you know that. Sometimes I look at some words and I feel like, did they render this thing properly? I start reading many versions. I have found there are paraphrases, there are translations. I have found out that the word fear is consistent in most of the translations. If it only meant reverence, why did they keep using the word fear? Why did the Bible say fear and trembling? Why? I'll tell you why. It's simply because the Greek word for fear in English means fear. The Hebrew word for fear in English, it means fear. The Aramaic word for fear in English, it means to fear, to be afraid, to recognize danger. To recognize that it is a terrible thing to fall into the hand of the living God. For the Lord our God is a consuming fire. That is the meaning of fear. And listen, God's fear is not as if uh, hey, when you see God now, you could tremble. Like I say all the time, God gave me children and he helped me to understand his own character. That it's possible to love people and still be strict with them. It's possible to discipline somebody. And God used to do it with Israel. The prophet said that he has wounded us. He said he will heal us. When we sinned, he afflicted us. Now let's go back to him in repentance. He said he will heal. And don't take it for granted. What I'm trying to say is that don't think it was, that it was just a joke. That was a sign of God's love for Israel. That was a sign of his faithfulness to his covenant, the one he made with Abraham, with Isaac, and with, with Jacob. Do you know why? Because the other nations, when he wiped them out, he erased the memory of them. You hear of the Hittites, the Hivites, the Amorites, the Jebusites, the Perizzites, all those ites, 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 wiped them out so badly that we can't even archaeologically dig up some places. He will tell them, yeah. Remove all the metal. Bring it. You know what that means? If you dig later, all that will remain is more than all of that. You will use this fire to destroy them, flood everything. 
archaeologists would get there, there was never a house there. The metallic objects you would have used to know the people were present. God had commanded his invading army to withdraw them. There are places that Assyria went to. There are places that Babylon went to. And part of the commandment of God, because it was a, they were the weapons of God's anger, was pull for me every metal. So that generations after will never locate these people again. Crush their houses, crush their bricks, crush everything. They will not read the Bible, they say there is no proof that this place ever existed. God said, yes, I removed the memory of them. So when he will show Israel mercy, he has wounded us, he will yet heal us. It was mercy, but he wounded. He wounded the people. Hebrews chapter 5. The voice of God is coming out. People of God, enough of this joking Christianity. Style like a joke, like joke. We take the word of God, just disregard it. God said, give in secret. Our own. We will not, people will not give in secret. So they must give openly. There are some scriptures so clear on marriage, on money, on things like that. When you see the way Christians behave, you think they are not in the Bible. You think Jesus never uttered a word about it. We do those things and introduce the cadets into the society. They were blaming APC and blaming PDP. Listen, people of God, we are dealing with a just God. He's just. He cannot punish PDP for the iniquity started by his people. He can't. Hebrews chapter 5. I want to start from verse 11. Now, I was talking about Melchizedek. This Melchizedek. He said, concerning him, we have much to say, but it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. I don't want to talk about Melchizedek. I'm just taking it, getting a break. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature, who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. Therefore, leaving the elementary teaching about Christ, let us press on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of instruction about washings and laying on of hands, and the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. He was talking about the basic foundation things. And this we will do if God permits. That is, we will move on to greater things that have to do with maturity. He said, for in the case of those who have once been enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and have been made partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and have tasted of the powers of the age to come, the good word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away, it is impossible to renew them again to repentance, since they again crucified to themselves the Son of God and put him to open shame. I want to stop reading there. Uh, now, two reasons why I read this. I just felt like putting this verse 4 to 6 in for those who like to pretend like it's not in the Scriptures. Let's read that. Don't play with your salvation. Don't get a false sense of security. Hold on to Christ. Jesus said, if you deny me, 
I will also deny you. That's what he said. I didn't say it. Paul said, if we deny him, he will also deny us. That's what Paul said. Some people say, Jesus is so faithful, he can never deny you. Uh, yeah, it sounds so nice. It sounds so nice. It sounds very, very romantic. It's the kind of thing we would like to believe. But what did he commit to his apostles? He said to Paul, if they deny me, I will deny them. It's in our scriptures like that too. I'm not the one that said it. It's in our Bible. Now, so I just wanted to read that one in. Now, but what I, my, the main thing I wanted to bring out from here, or I want to bring out from here, is I said, let us go on to the things that have to do with maturity. I said something earlier that sometimes, like Paul said in that uh, book of Acts chapter 17, God overlooks some things. He said, this is not right, I know, but I will overlook it for a season. In fact, you look at the covenants, the, the, the old covenant, the, some of the laws he gave to them, they were not perfect laws. He said, but with that, we will sustain them for a season until grace will come that will make it possible for them to obey the truth. You understand? To obey the truth. And that's why I say grace is not the excuse for our disobedience. Grace is actually the ability to walk in obedience. Grace is not the way by which we do what we like and get away with it. Grace is that God has put in us the ability to overcome the flesh. So each time he gives us revelation, he gives us understanding. With it, it doesn't just come commandment. With it comes the ability to walk rightly. That's what grace is. Now, let's bear that in mind. So sometimes God overlooks some things for a season. He does that. But then the season comes in which he commands people to repent. Paul said that those days, that book of Acts chapter 17 was talking to the people who were not believers in Athens and he was explaining that principle to them. But anytime he brings truth to you, a commandment accompanies truth, which is what? Repent. Now, another thing, which is what is here, is that there are things that have to do with childhood. And God expects, now listen to this, I said something earlier, the longer you walk with God, the greater the demands he has concerning your life. Let me say this to you. If God says after six years, you should have gone beyond this level of babyhood. Six years afterwards, if you are still in that level, listen to what I want to say clearly. Listen to it very clearly. You are walking in sin daily. You have not done anything deliberately wrong now, but you are walking short of the glory of God. Sin is not just this moral issue. Did I steal? Did I commit adultery? Did I cheat? Did I defraud somebody? That's not all there is to sin. There is a way you handle your finances now. Which God will say, will say I'm giving you another two years. At the end of two years, if you are still behaving like that, listen to what I want to say. You will have invoked... Okay, let me say, now, let me say it nicely so that you won't say this man is just a Jeremiah. Are you getting my point? I've told you my name is Amos, all right? But you can call me Jeremiah if you want. But <laughs> you will have revoked some blessings on your finances. Now, the kind of thing you are doing is not evil. People are doing that again the way every day. They are planning their lives according to that principle. And God says, okay. But it gets to a particular point. It just says, hey, no, 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 for you, no. And any day you continue, and listen, the fact that something worked for you before, that's why I don't stop shouting, it works, it works, it works. Stop it. One day it will stop working. 
You know the way to it is when you're, when you're a baby. When you're hungry, what do you do? You cry. I know, these are you know babies are hungry. They start wanting, you know, initially they are there. They are sleeping. If they, if they are smiling. So that means they are okay. After a while, the frown, the frown starts. After some time, you hear, mmm. under five minutes, they start licking the mouth. And the mother starts looking for where they keep the breast. Where they keep the breast. Are you getting my point? Why? Time to breastfeed. If you don't bring it on time, the baby starts, and that when will go on until that breast comes. And nobody's angry with the baby. Then it keeps growing. A time comes, you see cry. We used to get food. Now let me not bore you with details. Then one day, a child starts crying. Why are you crying? I'm hungry. Get me my cane. You know why you're getting a cane? You are hungry? Why didn't you say so? Why are you crying? Do you think you are a baby? <laughs> the same child, though. The same. What's the difference? Time has elapsed. After a while, in fact, there's something I used to do to my kids. I say, smile. A child that is unhappy, and you have just given two strokes. Stand there, look at me, and say, Daddy, thank you. Thank you for discipline. Now, smile. When they look at my face, they know this guy, you have to smile for him. Good. I don't care whether it's a genuine <laughs> smile or a fake smile. I must see the teeth. And when you see what the child did, there's no evil in it that is in itself. He just cried for food. Or he was eating. His brother, is the elder one, came, took a bit of the food, ate it, and ran away. And he sat down there and said, Stay cry, and then pushed away the rest of the food, and the rest, the food poured away. You, you know that one? <laughs> I just feel like this thing. One day, when my son, the first son was small, he was going to school already. I don't know, nursery or primary, I don't even know which level. In the morning, he would decide that, maybe the mother would make him a bread, and he decides that he doesn't want to eat bread. What he wants is good in morning. So after when the mother explained to him that, listen, you eat what I give you. You are too small to be telling me what I should cook in the morning. So one of those mornings, you know, you know, there's a reason why God gave children, father. There are things that mothers will never do. There are some mothers that are very wicked, but apart from those wicked ones, <laughs> normal mothers, do, they don't do some things. So that particular day, it was still small that day. So I, I heard him crying. I asked the mother, what is it that she gave him Assuming conflicts, and he said what he wanted was golden more. So I looked at him. I said, you're not eating any one of the two. People thought it was a joke. I had the food removed. I tossed him into the car. A little boy in, I think maybe primary one or so. The boy looked like, you know, this, this got to be a joke. This got to be a joke. <laughs> I drove him to school. He had not eaten that morning. I handed him to, over to the teacher. They took him to class, and I called the teacher aside. I said, please. Can you see the severity and the kindness of the Lord? <laughs> I called the teacher. I said, please. He hasn't eaten this morning. This is his food. As soon as break, the first break starts, normally they just eat a small snack and they eat some. I said, please, give him the full meal. So this guy sat down in class, attended the first two or three lessons for the day, and never chose what he would eat for breakfast till today again. Hallelujah. Thank you very much. <laughs>
Because I know my wife. My wife will, ne- my wife will know, will blow hot. She will die, die, back, back, back. No bite. At the end of the day, I said, this is what I'm warning you. Just take the golden one. Tomorrow I will give you. I said, this, I said, this is why he will do it again. <laughs> now what I'm going to say here, you see, there are things we get away with when we are children. After a while, God says, hey, wait. It is enough. Listen to this. All this all night prayer, God bless me, promotion. God said, it's enough. Next time I see you all night, you don't sleep because of promotion in the office, I will collect my sleep for three days. Then you know what sleep is. You've been sowing seeds for promotion. Oh, yeah. You will get two levels of demotion, and I'll keep it there for two years. The next time they want to sow seeds for promotion, I say, Lord, the one you have given me, I thank you. <laughs> the one is, see, no, I'm not sowing seed. In due season, you shall lift me up. I receive anointing for faithfulness. And I, because many of these seeds for promotion is nothing but covetousness and lack of contentment. Because you were a child, I tolerated it. Enough of this whimpering and crying and whining for every little thing. Because it's enough. It is enough. And Christians must understand, we have to go to things that have to do with maturity. My wife told me something the other day. She said she has noticed that once she, once she starts watching or listening to any message, and they want to start claiming, claiming one blessing or the other, she just gets tired. She'll shut the message down and go to another one. I said, my wife is not only you. That one day that was how I sat down to I was watching TV. And the man was walking up and down like a very handsome guy, you know. Walking up and down like this. God wants you to live in Eden. Eden is where there's abundance. As, you know, after two, three minutes of admiring his clothes and his everything. Because that was the only thing I could admire. Very nicely dressed guy. I was looking sharp, you know. <laughs> after some, I just flipped the channel. What he was preaching, was it bad? There was a time I have gone crazy over it. But now I've realized that those who understood, let me tell you something. Paul understood revelation so much. He said, because of the abundance of revelation, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh. Listen to me. He said the revelation was so much, it was enough to make somebody proud. A man who has seen the Lord, he could still become proud. I said, yet this same Paul, this same Paul, what did he use revelation for? How to abase. He didn't say, ah, I claim a million shekels. You guys have come to my house, see shekels everywhere. It works. He didn't do that. What does that tell you? Revelation is not for financial prosperity primarily. It's not to increase materially. It has, each thing has its purpose. So I realized that, listen, when you are preaching to me the word and it's how to use to collect money from God, right now, eh, honestly, you just wear out my soul. You wear out my soul. I just, I, listen, I'm not, I don't try to be, I just get tired. My wife and I didn't discuss when she told me that beforehand. She said, I've just noticed something these days. that people start preaching like this. I get tired. I told her, I said, my sister, it's not only you. Me too. I feel like a child. I don't know whether you get my point. I feel like a child. If you can jump, I'll give you th- two, two, two chocolates, two wraps of sweets. And I see us jumping, jumping. Hey, hey, kalaboro, go, 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 Revelation. Chocolate, come. Chocolate, come. Chocolate, oh, come. Which one do you like? That's your chocolate. This foreign chocolate, Ghanaian chocolate, local chocolate. What's the one? This one we used to eat when we were young. This one that you twist it. Can you remember it? These boys can't remember it. Goody, 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 goody. Say goody. Do you remember goody, goody? Ah, 
Come on, am I talking to you? Okay, this one, this one, he wants to nod. Have you ever seen goody goody? Where will you see goody goody? Goody goody. If anybody here that eating goody goody, a macho man. Declaring goody goody, goody goody. You know that's how I feel sometimes when I pray some prayers. Money come, car come. The angels will just be looking at us. Say, these are real children of God. <laughs> What's my message today? God said, listen, let's go on to things of maturity. And let me say another thing to you. You know the truth I found out? There are two types of growth Christians get involved in. There is personal growth and there is corporate growth. What I'm speaking about is corporate growth. What am I by corporate growth? Listen. Individually, as Christians, we grow bit by bit, right? But do you know where we get to as a body till we all come? That all come is another major issue. What I'm trying to say is this. If as a body, it's possible as a whole body that we are stuck in childhood. So any Christian that, that wants to break out of that childhood phase, we look, first, he will struggle harder than usual. And secondly, the reason is because there's what you call... Now, just a word we use, all right? Environmental unction. The environmental unction will be pulling him back. I've seen it before. People teach things that are so deep, then they withdraw. But because I had the capacity to understand those depths of truth, I felt bad. I, oh, no, this thing you are preaching is true. I remember Miles Morrow went to a church. You know, I told that this is our live streaming, he gets his own problem. So I can't tell you some things. But I'll, I'll give it to you peripherally. Miles Morrow went to a church. I had the CD, the, the, those days it was v, a, 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 what they call this cassette, VHS. The day I, I watched that message, I went crazy. I was watching it in the household. I went, you know, on my own. God, the whole church scattered, and he was talking about tribulations in the life of a Christian. Then. I got a CD with like seven CDs, the best of Miles Morrow, they call it that time. That was around 1994, 95, 95, yeah, sorry, 95 or 96, one of those two years, okay? So, listen, so I got the seven, the series. So, this next in line was in the same church the next day. This was like in the evening. In fact, he just, it was after Hurricane Andrew, yeah, I remember he said he was on the first flight out of the Bahamas. The first flight after the, uh, when the airport was open. Hurricane Andrew. Yes, I remember. That was when he preached the message. That was not when I saw it. I saw it shortly after. I saw it, like I told you, that was like 95, 96. But he, this, he preached this one immediately after Hurricane Andrew. So he managed to get into the church in the evening. He preached, he preached like two hours. The whole place went crazy. Then the next morning was the next CD, the next tape. Now, but you see this tape, this time around, when he started preaching, you see he was making reference to something that happened before he came on. And the pastor of the church had taken time to tear half of the things he said the day before to pieces. And what did the man say? The same thing we are trying to correct now. I mean, things that we are disagreeing with. Said God does not cause any problem because one of the things Miles Moreau said that this hurricane Andrew 
did not come from the devil. It came from the Lord. That man couldn't take that. I had it take for a very long time. So Mars Moro spent the first 30 minutes or so of that tape I have, you understand, trying to clarify and try and balance and try and say, look, okay, he appreciates what the pastor has done. He appreciates that, you know, we are from the same school of thought. It's just that he was trying to, you know, he was, ah! I remember I felt bad. I felt very bad. I felt very bad. I'm talking about corporate growth. When Miles Morrow came with that, the whole church couldn't take it. Because the pervasive teaching was a feel-good teaching. That was the same thing John Bever said happened to him when he went to a church and preached on the fear of God. The next day, the pastor came and said, perfect, perfect love casts out fear. The perfect love that casts out the fear of God out of your life is perfect deception. Listen, I want to stop because of time. Hopefully, the Lord allows me, I'll still continue on this particular point. Let's grow up. Three things I wanted to say to us, especially if you're a minister. I wanted to start with that, but of course, we didn't have enough time. One of the things we must do is to redefine what success is. We must redefine what success is. Success is not money. Success is not money. So, you know, you see people trying to prove that Dangote met um, Archbishop Itaosa. That is going to, half of it not true. I don't know whether, but my point is that, you see, they just wanted to connect the fact that this man is the richest man in the world with the fact that Archbishop blessed him. It's not necessarily a connection. John the Baptist was more successful than Aglikudangote is today. Yet, he ate locust and wild honey. He did not live in palaces, nor did he wear fine raiment. Let's redefine success. When Jesus preached the deepest of his revelations, the church shrank to 12. From when you heard that multitudes followed him, the same multitude came and said, this is a hard saying. Who can tolerate it? They left. Jesus looked at all of them. He said, are you not going to go to ask the 12? Peter said, to whom shall we go? So listen, don't, your church is 10,000 people, you have 17 services, doesn't mean anything. The number one false prophet in Africa, according to Sadhu, the day I saw his overflow, what we call mega churches in Nigeria, they can fit into his overflow. My wife and I watched the other day, you see, overflow one, overflow two, overflow three, overflow four. Each of those overflows, any church in this country today that has that number in a Sunday service will be singing their praises. And the guy had nothing like that. Seven of those overflows. Please, stop. Listen. Like I always say, if Jesus had bowed to Satan, he would have been the richest man in the world. Let's redefine success. And it must be from our preaching. That's what I'm trying to say. It's what we model for young people. You have to let them know it is not every offering that is acceptable. If you join MMM and they pay you, if you tighten on it, your house will burn. Tell them, I'm not kidding. 
You have to teach people that it is more profitable to walk away. It is more profitable to walk away from an investment that will have made them money if their faith will be strengthened by it than to go into that investment and collect money. I'll, just, I'll define this next time. There are three things I wanted to say, but just in case we can't get back to it, let me just drop them. Number two, our messages must, be more, must become more Christ-centered, not principle-centered. And number three, I want it here. Pastors, listen. You must become heavenly-minded, both in your thinking and in your messages. The reward of the Christian is actually in heaven. One day, Jesus is going to look at you. And the thing you should work for, number one, is well done, good and faithful servant. How will you get that from him? That's why you should start teaching the people of God. Because of coffee, I will need time to get home. Let's end it here. Even though I'm still very, very anointed. Honestly, <laughs> I still have the prophetic anointing on my head. But the spirit of the prophet... So let the prophet hold this one. We'll continue next time, the Lord willing. Let's just give the Lord thanks. Let's just say, Father, we thank you for this truth that you are giving us today. Let's just say, Lord, we thank you. Let's thank him for the truth that he has given us today. Let's just thank him. Say, Lord, thank you for not leaving me in, in, in darkness. The number one sign of God's love for us is correction. When he rebukes us, when he chastises us, it's because of love. Just say, Lord, I thank you for bringing a word of correction to me again today. Help me to know truth deeper. Help me to obey you. Pour through grace into my life, the ability to walk above sin. In the name of Jesus, we have prayed. Amen. Let's just give the Lord thanks for the word that he has sent to us. Thank him. Every time God brings a word like this, it's not just um, bringing us the word, it's also empowering us to do two dimensions of the word. The word brings the message and it also gives us the grace to do. So let's thank God for grace has been released. Thank him and say, Lord, I thank you for grace and for the message that you have sent to me this evening. A lot of people have just been delivered from destruction. So give the Lord thanks and say, Lord, we thank you for your word that you have sent to us. We give you praise forever. In the name of Jesus, we have prayed. Amen. Let's share the grace in fellowship um, for those of us that are here. And if you want to know how we share the grace in fellowship, please visit the website, pastor.ng, and you'll be able to download um, how we share the grace here in Kingdom World Ministries. But for, the, for those of us that are here, let's go one, two, three, go. Because of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, surely we have passed out of death and we have passed into life. We have passed out of underness into the light of Christ. We have passed out of under the curse into the blessing. All things are passed away in our lives. We are now filled with the Spirit of Christ. We live above sin and walk above the devil because we are seated high above with Christ. This is our season of multiplication, dominion, and manifestation in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Just give that to yourself. Say, this is my season.